Hello and welcome to The Fundamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Oh no, this is all my fault. There's something else at the core of my unhappiness that, that I didn't realize. When did that become a bad thing? I'm not dead. It seems I'm the only one with a mind of my own. Go, go. I would not wish you back again. I am not going to dump another thousand-year-old complex on you or anybody else. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, which had been available on the Free Music Archive. Guys, I looked for it the other day. It's not there. So, Good Riddance by R. Sonar. Thank you, R's. My name is Kylie, and here with me... (laughs) Is Gretchen? Hello, everybody. Julia? Hello. Let me talk to you about free healthcare. <laughs> oh God! And introducing our very special guest, joining us for the second time, it's Lucifer Means Lightbringer. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. You can find Lucifer Means Lightbringer. Honestly, if you just Google that phrase, but on the <laughs> YouTube's and on the Twitter, and I think there's a website also called LuciferMeansLightbringer.com. Yes. Standard disclaimer. When you search for Lucifer Means Lightbringer, 90% of it is me, and 10% are links that you don't want to click on. <laughs> uh, the three of us, uh, Julia, Gretchen, Kylie, write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis, and I, I believe there's still some of that fandom analysis going on. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise I'm going to have an article this month. <laughs> I have one coming out on Fundamentals Plus, our subscription. Um, uh, so if you want to read that, I'm going to be talking about Danny and Ray and the problems that Ooh. they both had. Um, Wait, Gretchen. Yes. What's Fundamentals Plus? Fundamentals Plus is our yearly subscription service. Is that like our- Disney Plus? Oh, <laughs> sure, but not. <laughs> we don't have The Mandalorian, unfortunately, uh, uh, nor do we have really any, but we have some cool podcasts we have cool essays and some hangouts that are pretty much all done by our editors so you know sometimes you can have a live google hangout with kylie and julia or i will write Before an essay google ended that or yeah oh, yeah because <laughs> we still haven't figured Google's that out dumb. we'll figure it out like a, a discord yeah. chat discord, with me yes. and julia yes mm. i know that uh one of our other editors Corey, does a monthly podcast i believe so, yeah, it's got some pretty cool stuff. It's $3 a month uh, or $30 a year. And you can support all of the work that we do on the Fundamentals, like this podcast. And we very much appreciate it. Uh, so this podcast today, in particular, we talk about various fandom things. But there's been one piece of media dominating all the fandoms forever. And that is... <laughs> Cats! The world. Cats! Absolutely. Frozen <laughs> 2. Oh god, I haven't watched that yet. No, neither have I. I haven't no, you guys, You guys know what it is. It is Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, the end of the Skywalker saga as we know it. Uh, yep. and, and yeah, it, it's a thing. We're going to be talking about it this entire podcast. Mm-hmm. But first, I think there's some fandom news. What news? <laughs> well, it's 2020. <laughs> okay, yeah, it is. That That is a fact. 
And that means a lot of things, especially politically in America. However, it's also a year of some big movies. It also means I wrote the date wrong like five days in a row, four days in a row at this point in my planner. I wrote the date wrong. Oh my God, I keep writing slash 19. It's really bad. Yeah. It usually takes me about a month, sometimes longer, depending on how much I actually write with my hand. Well, and this is a new decade. Well, yeah, it's a new decade. So like it's going to take some adjustment time. However... 2020 is the year of two Marvel movies, the Black Widow prequel, because she dead, and Eternals. What? I'm sorry, spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Right. <laughs> the Black Widow movie we might have been excited about like eight years mm-hmm. ago. Is, when, is happening I, oh, now. she has a sister and she fights the sister. That's that's what the trailer told me. You know what really bugged me about the trailer? That what? her sister speaks with a cartoon accent. So, well, because she's Russian, right? I'm so, and so, Russians am I always have. To, am I supposed to presume that they're all like? Because there's like all these scenes with like her parents too, and they all have cartoon Russian accents, except for her. So, are we supposed to presume that they're like speaking English, or that like they're speaking Russian, and it's actually Natasha who has a cartoon English accent? Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's also two DCEU movies coming out: <laughs> Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, I should probably watch that the was a good other year. Wonder Woman. Yeah. 1984? Very yes, very George good George Orwell thought so. Yep. And so did my parents. Okay, how do, how do we not get a bounce to go, wow, wow, for that? <laughs> <laughs> the we year was 1984. Post. Actually, the year was New Year's Eve, 1983. <laughs> There's a whole story but, about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, my, my brain is breaking at the fact that the new James Bond is called No Time to Die. They all have stupid titles. Remember but Die like, Another Moonraker Day? Moonraker isn't... Die Another Day was a bad title. Yeah, they're all bad titles. They're all bad things. License songs. to Kill. I don't think Moonraker yeah. or... I think License to Kill makes sense because that's like a spy thing. Yeah. Well, it's also a spy so thing to try not to die. So. It, though. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Well, they're too busy. They don't have any time. Live action Mulan is coming out. I don't I, know anything about it. I'm excited about it, though. Yeah, the trailer yeah. actually looks good. Looks really good. I like, the trailer no actually homo-ed. looks, yeah, well, it's probably going to be pretty no homo, but, like, the trailer actually looks yeah. like it's, like, a decent movie and not stupid. Right? Yeah, and visually, like, the costumes look amazing. Like, I'm, the action looks like it's going to be really good. Yeah. Uh, that That's actually one Disney movie that I don't mind seeing brought to action, because I think that is the kind of thing that, like, like you said, like, realistic costumes could, like, really enhance it in a way the cartoon kind of wasn't able to. Right. So... I don't begrudge it. Uh, and then... Wait, there's a new Ghostbusters movie? Yeah. What? Ghostbusters Afterlife. I did not. Huh? I and if it's this. anything like what's going on in major franchises, it's going to just quietly walk back anything the other Ghostbusters did, because there are people who are angry about it. There will, there, there will be no Save women it. in this new movie at all. <laughs> no. You know, I did see nope. a, a Twitter post yesterday about the dialogue timing, male versus female, in the Best Picture winners going back the past 20 years. And it is really something. Yeah, I think that's been going on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. A few you thousand know, years. There will be women. There will be women, but they will all be Papatines. So then that will solve. <laughs> oh, did you get... <laughs> They're all secretly descended from Zool. Also, I, I know you guys have been on Spelkos about the uh, Sonic movie that had to get reworked because mm-hmm. it looked so bad. It is coming out in 2020. So. Yeah, I saw Yay. posters. Like, I live like right it down be- the street from like a Megaplex. 
And, like, every time you, like, turn off from the highway, you see, like, all the giant posters. And that poster's been up for a while. I'm, I'm it sure it will be really just bad. as bad as it originally was going to be. It just might look a little mm. less bad. I mean, it still looks pretty bad. Um, TV news, I guess. Killing Eve is getting another season. Hooray! Yeah. I know a lot of people are very excited about that. So, good job. Yeah. Have fun, friends. And the- and then I just unabashedly wrote down what I'm excited about, which is Shit's Creek. Yes. Uh, the final se- the final season is actually premiering in like three seconds yeah. in Canada. US will get it on Netflix sometime. Uh, yeah, you'll get it on Netflix before we do, and we'll have to watch it on this horrible thing called CBC Gem, which is free, which is nice, but also is terrible. And they have so few advertisers, they literally show this same commercial four times in a row. Actually, that's an advertising trick to make sure that the ad sticks in your head. Well, it's really annoying, and there's, like, like a Shit's Creek episode is, like, 20 minutes. There's, like, three commercial breaks in that 30 minutes. Oh, boy. Oh, it's yeah, that's terrible. a lot of commercial breaks for That's not minutes. a good percentage. Yeah. Hey, do you, do you guys want to feel really depressed right now? Sure, because um, I don't have enough to be depressed I, I, about I've already life. seen the next <laughs> bullet point, but I'm already, yeah, okay. Well, then why don't you tell us, Julia? Why don't you tell uh, us apparently if you love it so much? Apparently, 80% of the money that has been made at the box office in 2019, presumably in the United States, um... How was made by the Disney company. And by, like, company, I mean, like, giant, many-armed leviathan. That, like... That doesn't sound like Mickey Mouse at all. I know, but just, like, the thing is that, like, most of the stuff that this giant, many-armed leviathan makes, I actually like. So it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, this year wasn't the best example. No, but still. Because it was, like, Endgame. It had a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie... Another big Disney princess, like, princess movie with Frozen 2, like... Spider-Man Homecoming was, like, fine. I liked Spider-Man Homecoming. It was fine. It, was it just cute. wasn't Spider-Man. I, like, it was a fun, it was fun to watch it. I would never rewatch it, though. I would rewatch it in, like, a Marvel rewatch. <laughs> I'd rewatch it if I was compelled to rewatch it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Final news of, of, the, of the day is... I mean, it's a little bit old, but it's still worth mentioning that Benioff and Weiss are going to apparently make a movie about H.P. Lovecraft. What could go wrong? Like, and not an adaptation of one of his stories, like a mo- like a biopic type thing about H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Again, what could go wrong? Because the one yeah. thing you want to focus on with problematic authors from the past is their problematic lives and not the works that they wrote. Right, right, right. Cool, because we we want a movie about the the racist who people in his own time said was uncomfortably racist and not. And about, to tell like, this story, we have oh the guys that wanted to do the <laughs> the Confederate show, oh. right? Yeah, like he he was a legit white supremacist, wasn't he? Like uh, yeah, like he yeah. like he, more than most yeah. people at that time. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he gave his cat a really horrible name. Um, and has said some really awful, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft was, like, yeah, I mean it when I say people at the time were like, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, man, like, he's even a bit too racist for us, and we're pretty racist. So, yeah, these <laughs> D&D seem like the perfect pair to make a however, movie about it. How- however, Benioff and Weiss, if it makes you feel better, they have still been working, and they just directed Leslie Jones's Netflix special? What, like a stand-up special? Yeah, they directed it. I mean, so so they point and shoot. Uh huh. They could actually do the comedy okay. Like their Always Sunny episode was not inept. I didn't even know they did an an 
and It's Always Sunny episode. Yeah, they did Flowers for Charlie, which was a pretty, like, fine episode. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Like, competent. More so, more competent than the men who made Game of Thrones. <laughs> Should have been expected to do. <laughs> oh, God. Remember when they nominated themselves for Best Director because they shot the Liberty Bell? Yay. The, there, yeah. was, there was a white horse, you guys. <laughs> it was white. The white horse of the extreme horse significance. Disappeared though. Where did it go? All right, there's one more piece of fandom news that I'm just going to slip in here, which is that Fire Emblem Three Houses DLC will likely come out in the first four months of the year. No one really knows what it is. It's probably extra side content, potentially new classes that are getting added to it. Uh, and for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, sorry, but uh, if if any of you have like me fallen down the Fire Emblem Three Houses black hole. You, you, you can seal clap with me and, and we'll have fun. And let's talk about how Edelgard is uh, literally perfect. Okay. <laughs> Yay. It's funny because she does war crimes, but she's also <laughs> practically perfect in every way. She's just like Princess Bubblegum. <laughs> she had no choice, guys. You know who also did war crimes? Kylo Ren. Princess Bubblegum. Oh, God. <laughs> what a good transition. And that brings us to the main event. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. If you do not care or you do not want to be spoiled for some reason, please shut this podcast off right now because that's all we're going to be talking about for the rest of this hour. Literally. <laughs> hour, that's cute. At last, the work of generations is complete. I don't care if the Raylos hate me. They're allowed to hate me for saying Kylo Ren did war crimes. He literally did war crimes. Like, Just because he did war crimes doesn't mean we can't also take a minute to unpack his psychology and understand the context in which he himself is a victim. Because that's how life works. People are victimized and then they victimize other people. So it's, you know. Except they didn't do that. <laughs> okay. You are not allowed to be nuanced oh, on the internet. I'm sorry. Damn it. I don't know what you think you're See, doing. See, if they actually wanted to do that, they would have recast Carrie Fisher. Force Awakens literally opens with him doing war crimes. That's true. That's the first thing we see. Okay. How do we introduce this? Well, the thing is, is like, despite our kind of like sarcastic demeanor, we all, well, I think all but Julia had fairly positive takeaways when we saw The Rise of Skywalker in the first No, like, I was fine. I mean, I didn't want to see it. I had to be bullied into seeing it. She um, did. And I didn't even... Yeah, I mean, there was, was it the first, uh, was it uh, Last Jedi or Force Awakens that I had to wait another week to see it because I had to punish my son? It was Force, okay, no, yeah. this was the worst. So it was Force Awakens, <laughs> yeah. which I went to see, like, the Saturday it came out or whatever, and it had, you know, old people, Leia and Han and Martell feels and all the dutiful princess stuff, and, like, basically our exact reading of Leia from Empire Strikes Back. So I was drowning in these Martell feels, and I kept being like, Julia, Julia, you have to go see this right now. You have to talk to me about this right now. And she was like, well, I can't. My son's in trouble, so he's grounded, so we're not going to see it for another week. I'm like, you get your butt in the theater right now without your son and go watch old people Han and Leia feels. Uh, that that was not my reaction to Rise of Skywalker for Joy. It was more like, we have to talk about this because we have to, so just go. And I was like, I don't want to. And then I finally I went to see it. I was just going to say, I don't know about positive takeaways from the film as much as like... Yeah. I enjoyed my viewing experience and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Right. I, I, mean, I think I by the time I went it. to see it. Like, there was only one scene where I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, I rolled my eyes at the kiss scene. And then 
like, couldn't help myself burst out laughing when Ben immediately, like, keeled over and died. But, like, everything (laughs) else about the movie, like, I was like, oh, this is enjoyable. I'm having fun. I'm, like, feeling things about some of these characters. Some of these scenes are really moving. This was interesting and engaging. Yeah. Like, I, I had a good time watching it. I didn't walk out being like, oh, waste of time. I hated it. Like. And then what happened? And then I started dissecting thinking. it. You started thinking about it. <laughs> I started thinking. <laughs> yeah, there were so many people saying, like, this is worse than the prequels and everything like that. So, like, I expected right. so much worse than I actually saw. So I think the first thing I did when I walked to the theater was, like, text you two and be like, this is it. It, it, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And, like, the first time we talked about it, I was just like, it wasn't bad that. There were things I liked about it that I liked. Uh yeah well i came home and i was like i kind of loved my viewing experience i said that to griffin who had seen it uh like the thursday night and he was like oh really but that's because he had told me everything that was already stupid so my brain was just kind of like i'm here for this ride this is nice raise raise pretty like that was yeah i was basically just sitting and enjoying the colored images so kylie i think you kind of hit on it the what the movie is doing it's kind of it doesn't want you to think hard about it, and it's basically bombarding you very rapid fire. Everyone's commented on the pacing being very fast. There's a lot of stuff being packed in. And so when you first see it, it just sort of you know, you just sort of sit back in the seat and it just sort of washes over you. It's constant, it doesn't slow down, it doesn't give you time yeah. to think about it. And so as a ride, like an amusement park ride, it's halfway decent. But as soon as it's over, you start thinking about the story, and then the the problems start, you know, sort of emerging. But yeah, there's also the <laughs> the expectations. Like everyone thought they were going to hate it, and you're yeah. watching it, and you're like, "This isn't bad. This isn't bad." But then it's over, and yeah. it's like, "Oh, wait a minute." Right? Is that your creepy muttering bird in the background? Yes, yes. there's. I, I was leaving the, them in it's the. It's like the sound of Palpatine in my soul, or something. You give in <laughs> to your hate, young. Yeah, it's like that's how I yeah, imagine I, um, it would be like. They were freaking out in the back room, so I figured if I brought them out, they'd actually be quieter, which is the case. So this is a little bit of muttering you're going to have to deal with, I guess. Okay, then, yeah, yeah there okay, might we... be some some evil voices we can deal with. Oh, we're really sorry if the chattering birds um, break your suspension of disbelief in this podcast. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know what you're believing in, but... <laughs> yeah. And you're totally, totally right about that, but the thing, the thing is that, like, it's kind of unbelievable how much it comes apart the more you think yes. about it. Right. And the new ways it comes apart in a way How that reminds it me is. Mm-hmm. like it reminds me so much of game of thrones in that way mm-hmm. right so we thought that maybe we could you know kind of whip out our little game of thrones analysis goggles <laughs> and talk through this movie the way that we have talked through many of uh game of thrones seasons plot line by plot line by asking a series of probing questions about this movie so we are going to attempt to answer. You said probe. Imperial <laughs> <laughs> probe droid. Oh, you guys. We were never getting through this. Vibro machete. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Stop. What was the story they were trying to tell? Whose story was it? What was the result of this story from a thematic and character perspective? What choices were made telling the story that differed from the way uh, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi were made. Why did those? Why did they make the choices they did? How did that change the story? And finally, what the fuck were they thinking? And by they, I guess we mean J.J. Abrams and company? Although, like, masses of story editors that I had confidence in. Yeah. Right, because, like, the- it's hard to parse out blame, and I think it's really easy on the internet to start blaming one, like... You have people blaming Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm 
you know, the Lucasfilm group. You have, group. you have people blaming JJ. And, like, the, the reality is, is, like, it's somewhere in the mix between all of these different people. Like, I'm not Wait. sure that we can assign specific blame to, like, some things we might be able to, but, like, some of it you can't quite say, like, did did JJ decide to make this storytelling choice and Kathleen Kennedy was like, sure, fine, whatever? Or did Kathleen Kennedy impose it on him from an external structure? Like some of it we can parse out and some of it we can't, but it's totally. all kind of in there. I do think that there is, we can start by saying that the first mistake was the lack of continuity across the movies, which does right. have to go back to Kathleen Kennedy slash the, you know, the brain trust. Like whoever didn't like that's the that's where it starts like they didn't have all the movies agree with one another so yeah. it, you're left mm-hmm. with the conclusion that had either of the directors JJ or Ryan Johnson had the entire trilogy or had they just gone with one of the ideas yeah, they, it would have been better right right they really should yeah. have had like a detailed outline before they started yes. the trilogy what uh, one would think yes and and from bits and pieces i've been able to glean over the past couple of weeks cuz i'm i'm fascinated by uh, trying to understand how much was planned out beforehand that at the very least the first two movies were at least partially written or rewritten in concert with each other. Um, that yeah. like when JJ was finishing up the force awakens, um, Ryan Johnson was starting the last Jedi and they talked with each other and kind of harmonized some things. Um, yeah. And it may have been that even in, in that process, they had an idea of where the third movie might go. What I, so what it feels like to me is that there's potentially, there may have been a broad outline that may have been tweaked due to fan reactions to The Last Jedi is a yeah, thing that I'm starting to suspect more and more. Section. That there might have oh. been a broad outline that because fans didn't like The Last Jedi, they just kind of were like, oh, let's do something else. Yeah, the major problem is The Last Jedi versus The Rise of Skywalker. That's where the obvious split. And you're right, some of the changes may have <laughs> been like group group thinking, the uh, the you know avoiding the criticism, which is always a bad way to write movies. so what i'm hearing is release the jj cut uh i mean but the jj cut (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding what we got yeah no there's there's like conspiracy theories on reddit that jj abrams had a really good movie that's on the cutting room floor and if only we had seen that it would have worked i bet there's at least a better movie a coherent movie on the cutting room floor you know does palpatine have motivations in any of this like spoiler alert i think our our ultimate conclusion from our conversations the past few weeks is uh there, there are two major mistakes that they made that doesn't matter how much they cut. <laughs> like it was like day one in the writing room that they had to go back. Pray to. tell, Julia, what were those so, major mistakes? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the consensus that the three of us made is that their first mistake, number one, was Palpatine anything, uh, and number two, <laughs> not recasting Carrie Fisher. And I'm never going to shut up about it. The I'm second one, I, I totally agree. Yeah, um, because there, there was like a basic structure to the trilogy. That was, like, mm-hmm. uh, Force Awakens was basically Han's movie and, like, deconstructing all of the, like, Han-ness from the original trilogy. The second was oh, doing the exact Han. same thing with Luke. And the third one was supposed to be doing the exact same thing with Leia. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do that because they refused to recast Gary Fisher and all they had was, like, awkward, uncanny valley repurposed footage. Like, Which just... I thought they weren't going to do that either, but then they did. Yeah. That was, that was one of I those mean, things that when I saw it in the movie, I think I was so overwhelmed by feelings that like yeah i i was just like give me everything that you have with carrie fisher and only kind of in hindsight am i looking back and being like yeah that was like really i mean weird. it was that and it was also like what's wrong with her face 
Yeah, no, it, it didn't. It didn't work for me. It reminded me of like a bridged series where they're just like splicing in awkward lines mm. from like another character. I was very distracted and uncomfortable, especially because she also needed like a band of three characters around her at all times to interpret her like really cut up dialogue. Right. Right. Yeah. There's like only like one scene that felt at all natural and that was only like 60% natural the one where she's just like let's be optimistic about this hopeless mission that I've sent people on and like that was like the only thing close to like a natural scene that she was in right I guess I liked when she and but Ray even were just that was the same natural. lightsaber back and forth to each other there were a uh, couple of scenes where where Ray's head looked unnaturally large <laughs> Because of the way they were putting, like, because of the perspective with whatever they were doing, it was, like, from behind Carrie Fisher's back. I was mm-hmm. like, Ray looks kind of bobbleheaded, and this is... <laughs> bobblehead Ray. It's, it's like Funko Pop Ray. So, guys, what story were they trying to tell? Uh, um, they were trying pew, pew, pew. to tell choo, choo, the story choo, about choo, how choo. the Force is actually a thing that runs in families and it's not actually like like force users are basically like just a bunch of like ubermenches and if you don't have the right family line then you can't use the force anymore I guess except for Finn who's mildly force sensitive I suppose is that what they were trying to tell or is that what they told by implication like did they go in like you know what would be cool if we we confirmed that only a couple families had the force because I think that's a very a charitable well, I think, read of it. I think the story they were trying to tell was one mm-hmm. about how, I mean, to put it very simplistically, like, y- you get to choose your family despite mm-hmm. where you come from. Like, where you come from doesn't matter so much as what you decide to be. I think that is the story they were trying to tell. Is that, yes. like, what matters, what makes you a hero is the ch- person that you choose to be not necessarily where you come from, even if where you come if from you is like If you happen to have evil. the right genetics for it. Right. <laughs> I don't think they were trying to talk about genetics, but it does, no. I think that... But I yeah. mean, I, I, like, there's this, like, whole thing about, like... Like, the thing that I think a lot of us liked about The Last Jedi is that it, like, totally destroyed that idea of, like, like, like a Skywalker legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, like, the same way that, like, Legend of Korra did with... <laughs> Like, Aang right. stuff, right? But just, like, like yeah, sure, these, this, like, Skywalker family, they're great, we like them, but, like, let's not idealize them to the extent that they're Space Jesus, you know? And, <laughs> as, like, right. yeah, just... But there's an immaculate conception, really, Julia. <laughs> that this movie, like, really, 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 really peddled back on that. That just, like, you know, like, the final moment is all this, like, you know, Ray is, like, she's a Skywalker now. She's one of these, like, space Jesuses. And whereas, like, the movie before was exactly that, like, there's no such thing as space Jesus, you know? Well, uh, I think I think another aspect is what Gretchen was saying about what this movie was trying to mm-hmm. tell is you get to choose your family. And I agree mm-hmm. with that. What bothers me is that The Last Jedi sort of did the groundwork for that that story still mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to fig you can still choose your family if you're ray nobody yeah. even, rather than ray palpatine right. but it was doing it in a way that the other characters were part of too yeah. mm-hmm. so you know poe was trying to figure out his place and his fa- kind of found family in in the resistance what that would look like what does true leadership actually look like and what's needed of him uh you know finn was trying to figure out okay originally he was just kind of committed to ray where's his broader 
uh, role in that mm-hmm. outside of just you know shouting Ray over and over again. <laughs> oh God! You know, and then and then of course Kylo Ren is probably the biggest victim of the rise of Skywalker. Not that I'm like super into a Ben redemption well, in any way. I he's never the was. biggest victim of the idealization of this like family uh-huh. line bullshit. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But like what? He didn't get to choose his family in this, did he? Like, he just died horribly because he's a Skywalker. Well, wasn't the implication that, like, that's what he was doing when he's redeemed to the light side? Except that what he's choosing is his biological family. Everyone else is choosing a found family, and what Ben is doing is, like, choosing to reconnect with his dead biological family? I'm not quite sure how that fits. I mean, I think he's, like... He's, like, choosing a different half of his mother's family or something like that because, like, his whole villain arc is all about how he he idealizes his grandfather but also kind of feels doomed to be evil by the fact that his grandfather was who he was. And, like, this movie is about him, like, choosing redeemed Anakin rather than evil Anakin. So even what we're touching on here gives us, like... The hints of a much better story that they could have told. Because if Ben (laughs) Mm -hmm. feels doomed to become his grandfather, like, it would have been a really Mm -hmm. good thing to play up that contrast with Rey. That, like, Rey doesn't feel doomed to become her evil Palpatine grandfather. Like, and I can see kind of that they were, like, waving vaguely in that direction in the movie, but, like, they didn't really actually give us either of these characters really reflecting on the choices that they're in, like Ben's choice to become the new Vader versus Rey's choice to not become the new Emperor, like, you can kind of like we see with Game of Thrones sometimes, if you squint really hard you can be like, I can see that this could be meaningful, but I have to import all of that meaning into the scenes that they gave me, because the scenes themselves don't reflect on it. Yeah, and just like, that's that's like what I'm like, because I've been saying to Gretchen for the past few weeks, like the main thing that this movie has made me do is want to read blood, reread Bloodline, which is like a random Claudio Gray canon novel. Um, and that about is all 40 about year old like, Leia. So good. Yeah, 40 year old Leia and kind of like uh, the events that led up to the, to the founding of the resistance, mm-hmm. where like she realizes that, oh shit, the empire is coming back. But like, because there's this whole story here about her and her relationship to her father, which is literally never explored in this entire fucking series. Like the closest you come yep. is like that ten minutes in um, in The Force Awakens, where Han is like, "It's not your fault that our son is evil, honey. It's just your genes." And she just kind of stands there and takes it. Uh, <clears throat> and so, like, she, like yeah, she has this entire relationship, like to Vader, to the dark side, and then like she has this son who like falls to the dark side and like you would think that there's an extremely interesting story there that is literally yes. never touched on I <laughs> there mean, are and- so many things about this movie that should have been in the movie that i'm like hearing about after the movie and i'm like oh that's interesting that could have been in there there's the whole thing about like luke tells us like like offhand side anecdote that's given like two seconds of screen time about how like apparently right. Leia's a Jedi Master first of all and she and like she had the stream one time and then she quit her training yeah she, oh, by the she way, did her scene. training literally on the last day because she <laughs> had this go. Like, prophecy dream that how like if she if she like becomes a Jedi or she continues to be a Jedi her son will die or something like that and you're just like okay so she's she's well. terrified of her own power because her father was evil should, should we like and she thinks that, like, it's going to destroy her entire family, including, like, her son, who she's extremely distant from. Um, c- can we, like, explore this, please? 
please? Right. You'd be like, recast an actor so you can actually do it, please? And so, yeah, I'm just going to have to keep reading Claudia Gray novels. She also wrote an extremely good, like, it's not even YA, it's like middle grade um, novel about Leia when she first starts being like an apprentice senator. They have like an apprentice senate. It's really weird, which is amazing. And it's all like talking about her. Like, how she first discovers that her parents are, like, in the rebellion, and, like, she takes up hiking as a hobby, and she has her first romance, and it's really great. And I hope Claudia Gray keeps writing Leia novels, because I will read them. She writes she writes Leia super well. She also has a, a book on Obi-Wan and Anakin called Master and Apprentice, which is pre-The Phantom Menace. Um, highly recommend that as well. Anything Claudia Gray yeah. writes is good. Um, but, yeah. Can I just say... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gretchen. Nope. I'm done. I was just saying there's, like, we're searching around in The Rise of Skywalker for, like, what were they trying to tell? What was the meaning? What was mm-hmm. the theme? And oh, I think it's it's hard to do because what what you got was The Last Jedi was a movie, love it or hate it, that wanted you to think about it. Like, it very mm-hmm. thought-provoking. There was a lot of uh, thematic parallels between different characters and the overall structure of the movie. Whereas this movie was, like I said, sort of bombarding you with action and there really wasn't a lot beneath the surface. And when you try to look beneath the surface, that's when it doesn't hold up. So it's just a very difficult endeavor when you're coming off The Last Jedi and you're thinking about the Force and Grey Jedi and the idea of the Je- mm-hmm. you know how the Jedi have been repressing the dark side and how that's not quite right and how Luke's, Luke's uh, meditations on the planet have led him to this evolutionary understanding of the Force that it seems like Kylo and Rey should be carrying forward, but they kind of don't, and they just yeah. go back to being like, I'm a Jedi, I'm a Sith. Wait, no, I'm not a Sith. Now I'm a Jedi. I'm a good guy now. <laughs> Let's kill the bad guy. And like all of that complexity that we were starting to think about is just washed away. And so it's very difficult to look at Rise of Skywalker and and talk about themes. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. and I also think that Rey Palpatine is another kind of dumbing down of the story yes, they could have been absolutely. telling. Because, like, I hear what you're saying, Gretchen. They both had evil grandfathers. It could have been interesting to see them both reconcile with that in a different way. Right. But what the effect was was kind of like, they both have the same arc, sort of, but not really. And when Ray Nobody challenged the conception of how we viewed the Force and power yeah. and also challenged Ray mm-hmm. as her character, mm-hmm. Palpatine is known to her. Like, yeah, she is. Like, just even if he is her bio granddad, like, <laughs> right? Ray, Ray, nobody was powerful because she was someone who was looking for who's my family to tell me where I fit in, mm-hmm. rather than finding that out for herself. That's why. I mean, it is it even worth her. talking about how clumsy that retcon is? Right. Yeah, um, they sold <laughs> Kylie. Yes. Kylie, please it's tell us it. your favorite line in this movie. Kylie, what is your favorite line in the Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> Oh, wait, was it the opening crawl? Is that what no. we're talking about? No, it was what? they were nobodies. <laughs> they sold Because it. they chose to be. Or that's yours. And Kylie, you were talking about how you hated the whole, like, they sold you to they protect you. They sold you to protect you. you. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Sell your kid into slavery to protect them. Like, that's great. <laughs> Absolute worst line. No, I thought I thought you were saying my least favorite line was the opening crawl. That was like, The dead speaks. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys play Fortnite? He's back. <laughs> no. But yeah, they sold you to protect you. Oh my god. Who who fucking wrote that? That's like straight up solo movie. Right. And if and if you want to if stuff. you want to see someone tear down that whole scene and why that whole idea makes no sense, go watch Jenny Nicholson's video. She has a pretty good like 10 minute like discussion of why 
like, Ray should have immediately been found on Jakku, and it's super dumb that, like, they didn't realize that the, like, tiny little girl screaming up at the spaceship as as it flies away <laughs> might just happen to be the child of the parents that are on board said spaceship. So one thing that I thought I was going to be bothered by um, is that everyone was referring to stuff in the movie as a MacGuffin before I had gone and seen it. Because, like, I kind of feel like people overuse a MacGuffin. Like, it's not just a thing that's needed, but it, it it has to kind of only exist for a very superficial purpose of moving from point A to point B. Like a wayfinder. A way like a wayfinder. Like a wayfinder. <laughs> like a Sith wayfinder. It's oh my god, then I went to see Last Jedi, or sorry, uh, Rise of Skywalker, and it's the the knife to find oh my god. the, the, the Goonies wayfind- knife. <laughs> the Goonies knife. Yeah. And then, like, there were two wayfinders... But the droid also had the information on him. I'm, I'm still confused yeah. about those two wayfinders. So she like burns the Tie Fighter, but there's another way. Where did she get that second one? It was everything also they there? did with maps was awkward. Yeah. Oh god. Luke says everything you need is right here, and then yeah. which is quoting the Last Jedi. But then he's talking about literal things. Okay, you have the wayfinder. But I just realized that like JJ just plagiarized himself too because. The, the plot, like, the whole Wayfinder plot is the same plot of The Force Awakens. Let's go find this piece of map so that we can go find mm. Luke. But instead it's That's like, let's go find this map so we can find Exegol and the Emperor. Like, J.J. didn't even write, like, he just rewrote his own goddamn story. As well as just rewriting The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Like, he was, he just recycled his own material. <laughs> like, he, he couldn't even come up with anything new for himself other than, like, guess we gotta find a map. Maybe he really liked the Indiana Jones movies. Here's the thing, though, is that Palpatine being back as the bad guy, there's not a lot of story there because he doesn't mm-hmm. have any connection to any character around except I possibly mean, he had, like, no He had no motivation in the prequel trilogy either other than, like, power. And, like, maybe in the comics he does or something, but... <laughs> At least his methods were slightly based in some kind of logic there you know this this whole thing of of, uh, kylo go kill ray no i need ray alive oh you're a force diet i'll suck your force diet power yeah that happened very suddenly too all of that but i'm saying like if they hadn't gone on a MacGuffin chase what would this movie have been because it's just find bad guy and kill there was there was a lot of time spent on MacGuffin and like criminally underusing carrie russell and things like that it's just a matter of, like, they wanted to get into certain scenes and settings and terrains and places to do certain action scenes, mm. and they came up with a convoluted MacGuffin plot to, like, take them to all the places they wanted. That's what it kind of felt like. Huh. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, lightly moving on to question number two, because now I'm legitimately wondering this. Whose story was this? I think there, there's a way to differentiate between this movie in itself and the series as a whole. Um, because I think yeah. this movie in itself feels like... It's trying to be Ray and Ben's story. Like that that's yep. what it's oh. trying to be a story about Ray and Ben. Right. Um I think the series as a whole when you take a step back and you look at the whole trilogy of trilogies, all nine movies. Um it's about Palpatine. Yeah. I don't like, like that at all. You, like Yum. This movie makes it about Palpatine. So um Yeah. 
So, Weirdly. yeah, LML straight. It's so weird to call you LML. I'm so used to calling you David. Um, so Dave, <laughs> Lucifer so. means Lightbringer, um, for people who don't know. Like, share <laughs> this video with me. Share the Rawrists take, if you're unfamiliar with Rawrists. She's hit or miss for me. But, like, her take on the Rise of Skywalker started with, so Palpatine won. And I was like, you know, when you put it that way, like, yeah. Tor- tortured the Skywalkers for three generations mm-hmm. and then put his granddaughter on the throne and all the Skywalkers are dead. And then and she took his, she name. Took his name. Skywalker right. name. Like this becomes yeah. like when you step back, like this becomes the movie about Palpatine trying to destroy the Skywalker. Either like pervert yeah. the Skywalkers to his side it's or like destroy the Carolingians them. and the Merovingians. And he won. What a long play. Yeah. Right. It's a long play. He, he was doing like three D about- chess when he was growing a snoke in a test tube. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> the artisanal jar of pickled snokes. <laughs> it's like so piggybacking on what Gretchen was saying about this movie wanted to be about Ray and Ben that like what I'm a fan of doing with these movies is like okay accepting that they should have done Ray nobody and they did Palpatine instead even accepting that choice how could no, they have done it better right that, but okay well <laughs> well it's just like a series of mistakes like First mistake is they shouldn't have done Palpatine. But even within the context of doing Palpatine, they did it poorly. So, for example, I was I mentioned the Grey Jedi thing a minute ago, right? So yes. Gretchen and I had this conversation yesterday about the sort of evolving concept of the Force, right? The mm-hmm. Skywalkers have always been sort of renegade Jedis. Like, Anakin was a big renegade Jedi. He was constantly fighting with the Jedi until he left them. Even Luke was a bit of a rebel, didn't complete his training, didn't go through formal Jedi training, sort of did his own thing. And then we have Rey, who's also very much, like, doing her own thing. And the whole concept of uh, the, the, the problem with the Jedi is that they are too black and white thinking, right? They reject emotions, they suppress emotions, they suppress the dark side, they're like, only look at the light side. And it just seemed like with the last movie, Luke was in the process of figuring out that that, that there was something more, a better understanding there to be had. And uh, Gretchen and I were talking about Ray and Ben, like they should have been finishing that work, finishing that understanding and stepping out of the yeah. Sith Jedi binary and pronouncing like, like, the, themselves the generational divide there is that like Luke and like presumably Leia if we ever you know explored her at all mm-hmm. would be like the solution to this <laughs> is like basically like to burn it all to the ground to like destroy the Jedi completely to destroy this family completely and like Ben and Rey were like no there's something that we can actually salvage from this mess mm-hmm. right sorry Julia I was just trying to say yeah. Kylo's redemption would have started to make more sense if instead of just redeeming himself to like save Rey, he had redeemed himself in order to bring his understanding of the light and dark side together with Rey's and together they sort of solve the puzzle and create this new understanding of the force together and then they defeat Palpatine by sort of integrating dark and light side force right. and their new understanding and then you have this progression of knowledge and then the movies the trilogy or the entire series becomes about the skywalkers improving the understanding of the force Mm -hmm. and coming out the other side with this more balanced gray jedi view and that would have been satisfying right because then at the at the same time you have the then kylo would have in a sense been fulfilling vader's work because that's kylo's whole thing was like, I have to finish my grandfather's work. He's supposed to bring and, balance to the Force. Yeah. Right, bringing right, balance to the right. Force. That was what Vader exactly. was supposed to do. And for some odd... And like so the, it gives you... Yeah, like it gives you this, like, intergenerational view of, like, one being someone being the chosen one 
to bring balance isn't just about them. It's about the influence they have on the next generation and then the influence that person's had. Then you have this beautiful, like, intergenerational story of, like, the way to, like, fulfill Vader's, like, Vader's mission was to bring balance to the Force and he failed. And, like, Luke and Leia didn't quite get there either, but they progressed it a little bit further in the original trilogy than Vader did. And then it's the next generation that finishes that work. The thing that always confused me about the prequel trilogy and, like, even, like, things that, like, George Lucas has said in interviews is that, like, Vader did end, or Anakin ended up bringing balance to the Force by destroying the Sith. And that always, like, really confused me. Because how is destroying the Sith supposed to, like, and give the Jedi total dominance supposed to balance the Force? That doesn't balance anything. No, no, no. They misinterpreted the prophecy. He brought balance to the Force by basically reducing the Jedi numbers to... Like Is, two, but then Just George like Lucas the also misinterpreted <laughs> the prophecy that he wrote. Like, because well, I mean, this isn't a complete yeah. like this, this is a way because uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender was extremely heavily influenced by Star Wars, but um, like this is basically what they did in the Legend of Korra. That like you know like balance is not about like good and or evil dominating. It's it's about yes. like you know finding finding like a medium between like the natural world between you know death and life and civilization and like actual like literal balance and not being like and they had all of that symbolism in the last mm-hmm. jedi you have Lu- you it have ray when ray connects with the force she sees life and death she sees chaos mm-hmm. and order you have the whole like yin yang symbolism with like in the jedi temple where luke is like there's the figure of someone meditating and behind them is light is black and white and it looks like the yin yang symbol and like Ray's whole thing of like going to the dark side to get information is the idea yeah. that like there is something she could learn from the dark side that yeah. isn't which Kylo bad. should have completed that action right you know? so they have all of and this stuff set up in the last Jedi for like gray Jedi balance to the force I mean, like, and then it just the rise of Skywalker was like no nope. just drop the ball nope we're right back to good and bad I, I also think one of the worst side effects of that is something that David was getting at about Kylo's redemption would have felt <laughs> like a redemption because mm-hmm. it really I don't think he was redeemed in this at all like he I mean he, he did was one like nice magically thing. yeah he was magically healed of his brainwashing or something that I mean, like yep did he have any agency in this at all I'm very confused no not much <laughs> he really didn't it sucks and, and what really bothers me about it is that like Kylo Ren was a space fascist. Like, these mm-hmm. were Nazis. The, the yes. imagery was not subtle in the slightest. The way that Hux was presented in the first two movies, like, was very white supremacist as we understand it now mm-hmm. in a modern day, where this is not well, exactly they definitely irrelevant. They definitely, like, appropriate that imagery. But, like, they had to. Yeah. Yeah. There's but, the, yeah. like, in a very literal mm-hmm. way, we open Force Awakens with him doing war crimes. Like, this isn't hyperbole. This is what's going on. Right. And I think for him to be redeemed, he kind of has to, like, have some kind of ideological battle, which I think the gray nature of the Force could have been a part of that. But, like, Hux being a traitor because he doesn't like Spite. Kylo Ren... <laughs> <laughs> like one of the dumbest things that possibly the movie could have done. You know that episode of Seinfeld committed... where Jerry wants to return that shirt because of spite. <laughs> that's well, that so I think of. that's a virtue of the J.J. Abrams and the writers of the last movie just not <laughs> thinking about themes or ideology. Instead, it's just like, well, yes. I don't like this guy, so I'm changing sides. So, like, well, what about his ideology? But they're just not thinking on that level, right? And I think that's a little bit 
like irresponsible to do in today's day and age. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, it just is. Yeah. I mean, like it would have been easy enough to fix. I mean, like if if he and Kylo Ren have like an ideological struggle and like he thinks that Kylo Ren is turning the Force Order into a vanity project or something, like that'd be like two lines. You could have fixed it, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, and just don't bring Palpatine back. Well, Kylie, while you were talking earlier about about Ben um, and the redemption arc there, it actually reminded me a little bit of kind of what happened with Steven Universe, is that you have a story that's trying to tell both um, a conflict about family and a conflict about society. It's trying to say something about, like, the way that dysfunctional families happen and, like, societal ills, like colonialism or fascism and i think the the pitfall that both steven universe and the rise of skywalker fell into is erring on the side of showing healing in a family context without really taking into mind the broader context of the implications for like the ills of the social order that they were trying to talk about earlier um steven universe i think did a little bit of a better job but it still like faltered in this regard because what we see with ben is that like he, you know, Leia dies to like cleanse him of the dark side influence is or whatever. That, and then he has explained that to me. I don't really know how it works, but that, I guess <laughs> that's what people it. are saying. Um, and then he has like this like meaningful conversation with the father that he killed, and like that's supposed to represent his redemption. Is like, look, he's reconnected with his family, and I'm Why like, was that conversation right. with his father instead of with his mother? Okay. I don't know. Well, because they didn't have so Carrie Fisher. But like, I know so, why. so here's, an- here's another. Oh, but sorry, it like ahead. never got to the point where we're like, right? But what made Ben a villain? Mm-hmm. What made Kylo Ren Kylo Ren wasn't that he had a fucked up relationship with his parents. It was that he was making decisions about doing war crimes within a fascist, oppressive, <laughs> intergalactic system of tyranny. Like, can we also address that too, please? Like, I'm glad that he's reconnected with his parents. Great. Also, like, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. But, like, like that doesn't make him redeemed. We have to talk about the fact that he, like, gleefully murdered the former ruler of a tyrannical, oppressive, intergalactic government and then took it over and was totally fine with, like, slaughtering planets. <laughs> Yeah, they honestly, like, they probably went too far with Kylo Ren's cruelty at the beginning if they wanted to redeem him. Because, like, in the real world, people don't go from mass murderers to reasonable people. That just is not a plot arc that anybody follows. Mm -hmm. It's just not. Yeah, but you're right. Like, he was evil... (laughs) It sucks that he killed Han Solo, man. We recognize. Right. Um, it, it really sucks that he was cool with, like, literally blowing up lo- planet systems with billions of people on it in the name of a fascist regime. So you can't really but address hey, one without addressing the he couldn't quite blow up his mommy. Yeah. I just don't think... This is why I didn't want a redemption in this movie. Mm. I just don't... I don't... I think there's too much of a turd of an implication in it, however you do it. Right. And they could have done a story where, like, Ben realizes that he can't come back but is willing to teach Ray <clears throat> what it is that he's learned about his experience with the dark side like we've been saying the whole like you could work that into a gray jedi ending where like he's not necessarily redeemed but says like look there's no coming back for me all of the things i've done i can't come back from that like but what i can do is teach you that like the dark side isn't inherently evil in and of itself. These are just the things you have to be aware of and be cautious of. In the same way that, like, being on the light side, you have to be aware of this kind of, like, rigid, black-and-white, emotionless thinking 
on the dark side, you have to be aware of being too tempted to be overcome by your emotions. Like, and what's interesting about Kylo that Gretchen and I were talking about yesterday is that he's, um, (laughs) it's all good. Don't know what that was. Everyone's still there? And so the other thing that's... Yeah, just my bird's causing chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, what was I saying? Yes. Oh, so, okay, so we've talked about how the Skywalkers are sort of rebellious, right? Like Anakin rebelled against the Jedi, but then once he flipped over to the Sith, Palpatine essentially became like a cult leader to him. He adopted everything Palpatine said. He took wholesale. He didn't question Palpatine, and he just gave himself over to the dark side. Now, Kylo Ren is more interesting... Because even after he rebels from the light side, he still questions Snoke. So he mm-hmm. takes that Skywalker questioning over to the dark side as well. And that's why what Gretchen's point uh, is valid is because like Kylo is somebody who's thinking a little bit for himself and is questioning what he's being taught by the Sith. And so even if you had that moment where he's like, I, couldn't, I can't be redeemed, but here's what I've learned. He is somebody that's learning and thinking and could... That could work for his character, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if done well and given the space to breathe and be a plot point in this movie. Speaking of, right. I, um, this might be the only time that I can shove this in. Someone explain the Sith to me. Who are all those people in the amphitheater of evil cheering for Palpatine who got smushed by rocks? <laughs> Where did they come from? Sith Were they there the whole time? Are they force They're users? They're like fanboys. I don't are think they humans? Are they users. aliens? Because apparently, like the Sith were like a race at some point that like dark this, force yes. users appropriated. O- originally, oh god, Griffin told me all this at one point. Um, <laughs> they were a race originally, uh-huh. but these these are just like Sith fanboys. They're just like there's millions of them, and like all those people crew those if, ships. There's millions of them. Where do they come from? What, Who are they? Well, just the Emperor has his own version of the Knights of Ren. Meaning that they're, like, faceless nobodies who, like, follow him around and think he's cool. How long have they been in that amphitheater, though? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I just took that as a visualization of the worst parts of the Star Wars fandom. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, okay, I, I'm not going to pretend I didn't think the same thing. But, like, I, it reminded me of Man in the High Castle, where, like, John Smith is in Berlin, and they, like, do the whole, like, salute thing with a, like, amphitheater full of SS people. It was, like, exactly yeah, like, like that. They feed on hatred and rage. You you could spend, you know, three solid weeks just thinking about the ways this movie doesn't make sense. And it doesn't mm. make sense in increasingly complex ways. And hey, that's what and, we've been doing. And like, I, I honestly don't even begrudge. Okay, Palpatine lifts up, you know, umpteen hundred Star Destroyers from the sea. And they're all fully manned with yeah. like 43,000 people on each one. There was a female captain yeah. who blew up a planet. At least he's not a sexist anymore. He's grown. They were all like underwater in suspended animation this whole time? I don't know. They were all in suspended animation? I don't know. I'm just guessing. But like, I'm just saying even that I can't even begrudge that as much as just like, here's an amphitheater of faceless people that do nothing and they all conveniently get smushed by rocks. Maybe they're all. Okay, so explain the Knights of Ren to me as well. Of the world. No. Explain the Knights of Ren to me as well. Who are they? (laughs) I know that Ren is Kylo's last name, but who are the Knights of Ren? The movie didn't tell us. The the only reason we even knew who those guys were was some random stormtrooper was like, oh yeah, it's the Knights of... Hey, it's the Knights of Ren! Like... In my in my head canon, they're connected to NWA and MC Ren, but I don't... (laughs) What really bothers me about this, too, is that people who dislike last jedi 
a lot, you know, for reasons like all the plot holes or whatever, and ruin Johnson. Or that like the, the protagonist that yeah, level dares to exist. Right. What one yeah. of one of the biggest charges is that it totally just threw away everything the Force Awakens set up, which I truly don't understand because it kind of picked up on with all the characters exactly where they just were. Uh-huh. However, I think what that meant was they didn't unpack the mysteries, like who is Snoke and who are the Knights of Ren. Well, does this do anything for anyone? No. Those are the Knights of Ren. Look, yeah. right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, she literally answered the question of who are the Knights of Ren. It's just literally like, those guys. Those guys. Them. <laughs> they have weapons. Do you like it? Like, touching on that whole, like, did this, did this please the fanboys thing? So, um, the first thing, like, that Kylie sent me when I got back from the series was this piece in Medium by uh, Jeanette Ng. And she wrote, it's very, it is, uh, very, very long and wonderful. It's called The Rise of Skywalker, Memorably Without Memory and Misunderstanding of Hope, where she, like, deconstructs this entire thing. And it's, it's brilliant. Everyone should read it. But uh, one of the first points that she makes is that, like, what they seem to do is kind of, like, treat all the criticism of, um, The Last Jedi as equal. So, like, the criticism that, like, um, there are a few plot holes and, like, uh, maybe, like, some of this, some of this, like, this plot line with Finn, maybe it had some implication that you didn't intend. They treated all that criticism, like, in, it, it is in the same category as just, like, basically the Dubros complaining about how they were living on the like screens Rose now Tico. and they didn't like it. Yeah, so, yeah. so they, they treated all that criticism as equally worthy of being addressed in mm-hmm. The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'm sorry, how the fuck did they address Finn? <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they, oh yeah, they really tapped into his potential in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, they, I guess they just figured that if you do nothing with him, then no one can complain about what you did with him. <laughs> um, like they at least didn't make him continue to play on the whole like he's just a jokey janitor. Like Finn's yeah. arc, he True. didn't really have an arc, but I'm at least grateful he wasn't purely just slapstick humor. And right, I'm a janitor. Yup. No, like, he wasn't the butt of the joke, but instead he was just, he ran around yelling Ray, mm-hmm. like the entire movie. I mean, a couple of times he did yell interest. Right. He, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then he was giving a love interest that was exactly, like, just his backstory. And, and then was also, that like, brings the up only, a whole... The only other black person with a significant sleeping role, speaking role the entire movie, wah, so. Wah. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, Who's actually Lando's, Lando's daughter, potentially yeah, because all black Lando's people daughter, are yeah. to each other. <sighs> yeah. yeah. So Gretchen and I did a tiny script doctor for uh, Finn, which is mostly Gretchen's idea. You want to talk about that? The the Stormtrooper Rebellion idea? Oh, yeah. Man, like if he, if, so okay, so it would start with Finn is the one getting captured instead of Chewie. Um, So, and then Finn ends up in like the Stormtrooper, like, you know, he ends up fomenting a rebellion among the Stormtroopers. Like, maybe he, I don't know, but. There's ways you could do it, but he ends up foaming into a rebellion. And then the final scene, so that when they're, when they're going to Exegol, the, the ships that arrive aren't just some random mishmash armada from around the galaxy. It's another bunch of star destroyers. And everyone's like, Oh crap, we're definitely dead. Cause there's all these, you know, there's even more star destroyers. But instead you hear over the intercom, it's Fingo. Hey guys. And like, he's leading this entire armada of other star destroyers full of like stormtroopers who rebelled against the ones that like Emperor made. And you're like, this would have been so cool. 
Like, and it would have yeah, tied would have into the plot better. line of Lando's daughter and all the other escaped stormtroopers. Right. It's like they were building something there by humanizing the stormtroopers, giving us Finn. So, like, why not complete that, right? Right. It also would have made more sense because the question is, why did everyone come when Lando asked them rather right. than when Leia asked them, like, exactly. four minutes ago? Right. Exactly. Because you're going to listen to Lando instead of goddamn General Leia. Like, General Leia yeah. asked for help. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Of all of the people. Speaking of General... I love that. And I think, honestly, making Finn... Like, Finn should have been one of the most interesting characters of this right? trilogy. Yep. That we yep. now have a human face of the Stormtroopers. Yep. And instead, what ended up happening was, Finn's a good one. Also, here's this other Stormtrooper, and she rides horses on spaceships. <laughs> but let's just keep gleefully shooting at these other Stormtroopers right. and not think about Which it. Which is significantly yeah. worse when you realize that in the sequel trilogy, the Stormtroopers... So originally we have clone troopers who are just like, you know, clones. same face clones. Like, Australian guy. And then, Django. And then you have in the original trilogy, the idea being that these are like um, willing volunteers, willing volunteers and recruits are stormtroopers. So like these are like the implication, not that I ever fully spell it out, is that like these are people who believe in the cause. So it's easy to kill like, it's much easier as an audience to be like, right, yes, we should shoot the space Nazis who believe in being space Nazis. And, you know, like, they believe right, in the like cause. They, they made this choice in employment. Right. Yeah. They chose this. They believe in the cause. They deserve to die. But when you get to the sequel trilogy and it's like, no, these are literal kidnapped, brainwashed child soldiers, which we learned from Finn's story. And then we're still supposed to gleefully cheer for a bunch of stormtroopers dying. You're like, ooh, but... But ooh, why? And like the rise of Skywalker made it worse by giving us Janna. Yeah, a lot worse. So this is one of those like the choice that they made to give us Janna, who is an interesting character, and I'm really happy yeah, that we get to see fine. that like Finn is not the only stormtrooper to rebel. Like that's a really cool idea. And her horse is cool, right? But by giving us this story <laughs> and explaining mm -hmm. where she comes from and therefore where Finn comes from, it makes it that much harder to, like, really enjoy killing all the bad guys if you're thinking about it. You have to just pretend you don't know that these are all, like, brainwashed, kidnapped child soldiers from all over the galaxy. Because once you think about it, then you're like, right, but, like, we just murdered all of these, like, kids who, like, kind of had no choice but to do yeah. what they're doing and but we won but also, we won yay also by the way Finn is force sensitive now you know and he was totally going to tell Ray that in his dying final moments that was the and most and he couldn't important. say it in front of Poe right couldn't say it in front of Poe for reasons and he used his force sensitivity now. to like locate mm. the mothership Oh my god, drug dealer Poe. Oh my god. That's another change that they just kind of threw with that in. That was not in The Force what, Awakens or The why? Last Jedi. What in Poe's arc of this movie necessitated that anyway? Well, he's he's played like, by a Latinx actor, and that's well, it. I, I think the idea was they wanted an explanation for why he would have, like, seedy a rebellious strings. Yeah. Or, Maybe. like, seedy connections with, uh, on Kijimi with Zori. Like, they were like, why would that, he know someone who writes droids' minds? And I'm like, well, when you're in a resistance that's not technically supposed to exist because the government doesn't approve of yeah, you like, existing, like, if you're in, like, a, then you know, you get to know seedy people working in the resistance if you're not out in the open. Or like, maybe he just grew up in a really bad neighborhood. 
They didn't. Also, did they watch Rogue One? Like, right. Yeah. Boy, did he have nothing to do this movie. He's right? made the general in the most like passive way possible. People are saying that he had such a good arc learning leadership. And yeah. I'm like, did you watch The Last Jedi? Where he, he literally learned that like being a leader isn't about like throwing lives and bodies at things. But like it's about being thrown uh, across the room by Leia and having strategic thinking and like trying to like weigh pros and cons and like it's like in the last jedi he learned what it means to actually be a leader which is not just to throw lives at things and to like learn to like strategically weigh like cause and effect and pros and cons and when to act and when to be patient that was his whole thing was like learning how to be an actual leader so that leia could pass the baton to him and then this movie it's like well he's a drug runner and maybe doubts himself a little bit because Leia dies. But he has, like, a split second of, like, I don't know if I'm ready. <gasps> Actually, I am. And now I'm a leader. Now I'm in charge. Like, it's it's so unsatisfying. And, like, and for all the people who claim... It's, like, for all the people who claim that um, Finn's arc in The Last Jedi is a retread of The Force Awakens, which one isn't true. Um, but for all the people who claim that, I'm like, do, do you not see what happened with Poe in, in this movie versus the last movie? Like, this is... Literally the same arc, except not as good. Like, yeah. and like even the humor isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> like, I did C three PO though. I will yeah. I will die on the hill of C three PO was hilarious. I mean, like, there's we already mentioned that moment where the Knights of Ren are passing by the stormtroopers, and they're like, "Oh, that's the Knights of Ren." And then like the second Knight of Ren says goals, and I was just like, they did not do that. First of all, this is going to age that movie so badly. (laughs) Like, in 15 years, all our children are going to be laughing at that. Uh, I totally missed that line. That's funny. uh, Well, I hope I imagined it, to tell you the truth. But yeah, so that is not the level of humor that I have come to expect in this trilogy. No. But they I feel like they got C-3PO, though. Like, his humor was all about, like, protocol droid humor. Yeah, 3PO kicked ass in this movie. Yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of hilarious how he's not allowed to translate the bad language. It's kind of, it kind of reminds you of, like, um, like, leftist YouTube gets their videos flagged because they use, like, swastikas in it and stuff to, like, criticize fascism. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was his line, his line when, like, they fall underground and he's like, is this the afterlife? Are droids allowed here? Like, I lost it. I lost it. I thought that line was so funny. And it's so deadpan. And you kind of only vaguely hear it in the background because the other characters are talking. And I was like, no, I, I want to laugh. It's protocol he's humor. He's, he's worried about if he's allowed there Right? Like, he was great. <laughs> Did you guys like the other droid? I didn't understand. I didn't understand why he existed. I mean, like, couldn't they have, like, a widget be downloaded into R2 or something like that instead? I mean, he was cute. Yeah, I guess. He's well, got a he also wasn't face. necessary because Ray found the map, but then she was making the. I don't know. I feel like they always need to. There's like a rule of droid where like they always need to <laughs> add in like a, a cute new droid as much as possible. Like we got BB 8, and did we get one in The Last Jedi? No, but we had Porgs. We got one. In, so. We got the sassy uh, feminist uh, social justice warrior one in Solo. Oh God! <laughs> right, but it feels like there's like a rule of droid where like you must always introduce like a new droid character almost always as much as possible. That's true. Good call, Gretchen. I can't wait to play with my Carrie Russell action figure from her memorable role. Yeah, she didn't even cool. take her mask off at any point. Oh my God! And you guess I you had totally yeah, forgotten that that was Carrie Russell. Yeah, I had no idea. I knew that she'd been cast, but I had forgotten that she'd been cast. And so there was that moment where she lifts her visor up. And, like, 
I could tell that it was supposed to mean something to me. And I was supposed to recognize her face, but I was like, I don't know who this person is. Like, I don't care that she just lifted yeah, her mask up. I guess now face. I know she's white and has, like, blondish, brownish hair and eyeliner. blue eyes and eyeliner. And then someone, it was after I saw the movie that someone said, like, oh, yeah, Carrie Russell. And I was like, that was the lady I was supposed to recognize. And it was supposed to mean <laughs> something to me. And it totally didn't. Well, it yeah, means that um, Poe's not Makers gay. of all movies ever. Um, He's pansexual. You don't me. do that. Yeah, um, like... <laughs> But they did that as well in Game of Thrones, of course, the infamous Ed right. Sheeran cameo and stuff, where yeah. they're just like, turn, it's Ed Sheeran. And, like, if you don't know who Ed Sheeran is, you're just like, that's a weird way to open this scene. Right? <laughs> what, what the fuck was Dominic Monaghan doing running around, oh, like, cannibalizing our screen time? That was very distracting. It was because of a bet, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Oh, really? Well, he had he had more lines than uh, Rose Tico than, did. Right. Apparently, like, J.J. Abrams lost a bet to Dominic Moynihan or something, and that's why he's in this movie something about though like i mean I, he I was just fine i mean like you can't like you can't blame him for having a recognizable face he did he did a perfectly adequate job with this bit role but just like oh. no i blame him for like rose was so not in this movie yeah. that even her but that's not being Donna shoved in the sidelines no no but like she couldn't even be the person at the base reacting to things yeah, she's just like fuzzy and out of frame yeah, that was a, like, J.J. Abrams making that decision is one of, I think, again, another one of yeah. those, one of the worst decisions that, that was made in the making of this movie. Who, I mean, that was, that was to it, appease like, the dude bros. But that's what makes it so bullshit, is like, the yeah. Kelly Marie Tran, Kelly Loan Marie Tran, was bullied off of social media because she just so happens to be an Asian American woman in Star Wars, and people hated her character, and this felt like a justification for hating mm-hmm. her character because they're like, oh right, yes, we don't like her. We'll just shove her off into the corner, like yeah, it was like Jar Jar Binks. Except, except Jar Jar Binks got way more screen time than like Rose Dico ever mm-hmm. did. I thought they didn't like Rose's character because she was useless. So clearly, the answer would have been to give her lots of things to do this movie, and it it was not about racism or sexism. No, rem- remember now. that like we the lesson one of the lessons we learned from Game of Thrones is if you're really bad at something, the solution is just to keep have you doing that. So oh, if you're God. really bad, like if you don't do anything and you like are really useless and like don't do things, like you just get more of that because that's how you get better. That's how you learn to not be bad at something is to just keep doing it. So while we're talking about Rose, um, can I make a quick point that I and and Canto Bite? Because I so Canto Bite is something that's often debated in The Last Jedi. And I think it's super important scene because what it's supposed to be doing is showing you where the Star Destroyers come from. You know, that this is imperial disaster capitalism on a giant, or vulture capitalism, rather, on a giant scale. And so Rose's character is created literally as an everyman and as a victim of that oppression. And so I think that the main reason that Canto Bite did not land the way it should have is that it's it's kind of jarring, it's not well integrated into the rest of the movie. And I think the easiest fix that also would have helped Rose's character is if they had introduced the oppressed people of Canto Bight earlier on in the series, either in the first movie 
or earlier in the second movie so that we would have gotten attached to that idea. These people are suffering. Here we have somebody from that place who understands that suffering. And then when we go back there to, to get the cracker or whatever and then free, you know, and then, you know, cause a rebellion, it would have resonated and been so much more meaningful and we would have understood the lesson that we're supposed to learn from that, which is like those Star Destroyers don't come from nowhere, right? Right. And maybe they could have shown up in conjunction with Finn's Stormtrooper Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really like this idea of a Stormtrooper Rebellion, Gretchen. I like it a lot. They're just They Thank do you. come from nowhere if they're built by Palpatine. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, the Cantobite is completely <laughs> rendered moot now because, you know, where, where do these ships come from? Oh, Palpatine just had them all underwater. Right. So, like, yeah, didn't, didn't even like exactly. a random Imperial exactly. officer say that during the big meeting? <laughs> right. Yeah, wasn't they, he pointing they tried out all to these hang logistical up. issues? Was that yeah. Pride, the new general that they like beamed in? Yeah, because he didn't want to deal with Hux for some reason. I feel like uh, all of Pride's arc could have just been Hux the whole time. Pride, no, totally. no, no. Pride was there to. Pride was a red herring to make us think that he was the spy. That's why Pride existed. And like I, w- you know, jokes on them. I wasn't even thinking about the spy at all. To like, but what if what? Consider- okay, but you could have tied the whole spy thing into a stormtrooper rebellion. Because if you have a spy in the ranks and it's a stormtrooper and like that's what you first see. Imagine if we first saw just some random stormtrooper and we're like, oh, oh, there are other stormtroopers kind of like Finn. We've got some stormtroopers that are starting to defect like even more. Maybe maybe they talk about like the hero Finn, like the rebel Finn that like left the stormtroopers. And like because wouldn't there be other ones like Finn if they're all child soldiers? Right. Right. Like what if. The, the stormtrooper catches a glimpse of Finn in the Millennium Falcon during that scene where they're getting the information. And it's like, you're real. I got to go tell the other guys on the ship that I got to meet the Finn. Like, and then that's how we get the idea that there's like potentially stormtroopers. There's rumblings within the Empire because and think about like what that means then for the storyline. When we think about like if the movie starts with like the emperor is rising but doesn't realize that like his own empire is crumbling apart from within. Like even if you have Palpatine, even if you go with Palpatine, like instead of like which I don't think you have to. <laughs> you don't. You don't because you could have had it be like Hux or Kylo Ren like bickering with each other. Like that would have been even better because then you would have had two storylines about the idea no, that like th- like the dark side is crumbling within itself. Like you have bigger, which is what happens to evil movies. Right, it's like they become fractured. Like Hitler got super paranoid that all of his closest advisors were trying to undermine him. This is what happens to like evil empires; they crumble from within. Like, what if we've gotten that? Like the the stormtroopers are defecting. You've got the two leaders are like bickering with each other, and yet like there still is an existential threat. You can have both at the same time. Especially because, like, at the end of The Last Jedi, you know, the Resistance was one spaceship. It was 30 people in a room. Yeah. So, but in this movie, they just kind of, like, have a base again, and it's fine. Well, it is a pretty shitty base. But, like, I think that the best image for what you're saying, Gretchen, is, like, Kylo Ren's, like, badly glued-together mask with, like, the extremely visible seams. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Why? The whole thing is just, just, like, we have this thing that, like, the the second movie smashed – and now they're, like, gluing it back together with, like, a glue stick. Right. That would have been such a good visual symbol to represent what's happening in the M- in the First Order itself, is they're trying mm-hmm. to glue it back together. And within the narrative. 
Right. And then, and then you have that paralleled with the resistance trying to pull itself back together. And then you create this inverse where like the, the rebel, the resistance is gluing itself back together and succeeding. Whereas the empire is trying to glue itself back together and it's still just continuing to crumble. Like, (gasps) Gretchen, no, no, Palpatine did it all. Palpatine's behind it all. (laughs) Themes. <laughs> you can't see me. I'm like stretched out on my desk being like, but themes, guys. Like, <laughs> No, you're not allowed to have thematic movie. You need Star Wars people like. It, uh. But it would have been really good. People would have liked it. Yeah, I know. And movies that are meaningful usually tend to be the movies that people enjoy. Or like but, hey, that people will yeah. still talk about in 40 years. You know, like maybe they but should. We're snobs. Yeah, so. maybe they should think about that every once in a while if they want to build their scary media empire even more. Right. I I just have no interest in rewatching this movie. Mm. Like, none. No. And it it wasn't, again, like, none of us really hated sitting in the theater. uh It was kind of nice. J.J. Abrams is a very competent storyteller in that he will put you on that ride and you will enjoy it. And, you know, you kind of know that he's tugging at your nostalgia, but you can ignore it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the nostalgia was extremely obvious in this one, like, even more so than the other two. And... Well, like, when Lando comes back, and it's like, how did you get through it? He's like, we had each other. It's like, I think Leia's corpse is, like, right there. But, okay. (laughs) I just, like, oh, I I don't even want to start talking about Leia again, because I'll talk about her for an hour. But, like... No, we shouldn't. Like, um, I kind of hate to say this because I love him, but, like, was Chewie even necessary in this movie at all? He got the medal! (sighs) Julia, I mean, especially it, it in always light, bothered people that he didn't get the medal. That's especially like the in light of, what this of Gretchen's is, script though. doctor about like Finn getting captured. Just like why is Chewie in this movie? Like let him go back to Kashyyyk with his scary son and have some more Christmas specials and or f- or fuck like let. Ray kill him and grapple with that. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just keep thinking about that weird fake out that they did. So <laughs> I, I have a I have a little bit that I wanted to I've been waiting for a chance to get in on as far as Ray and Palpatine showdown at the end. Yeah. Oh please um, do. Yeah, we kinda glossed over it to me. So okay, so I was I was jokingly doing the the Palpatine you know, give in to your hate, young Skywalker. But think about that moment. Luke is being tempted to the dark side, right? And what is the temptation? Grab the lightsaber, strike me down with all of your hate, and your journey to the dark side will be complete. The act that he's being tempted towards is a violent act. It's unambiguously violent. That's how you get to the dark side. But for Rey, it's like, do this ritual so that you can control the fleet and save your friends. There's no act of hate. There's no rage involved. It's basically a a self-sacrifice that she's being asked to do. And that doesn't... That doesn't journey one to the dark side. One doesn't go to yeah. the dark side by getting like externally possessed. It has to be by making choices on your own. Mm-hmm. And so for them to yeah, botch like that at the, at the high point of the movie, it just shows they don't even understand the original trilogy. No, and right. it, that's honestly one of the issues with the prequels is that it would take things from the original trilogy and take it literally and extrapolate it into a way it was never meant to be. So like Luke is training on the Millennium Falcon with a blast shield down and a pokeball. And it's like, you know, in the original trilogy, they kind of just took what was lying around 
and they set up, you know, a force training exercise, right? But and then like when all you get the, to the Jedi prequels, suddenly dress like uh, moisture farmers from Tatooine, yeah. Right, exactly. You get to the prequels, they're all wearing moisture farming robes, and it's like there's group classes with blast shields down and little pokeballs that they're practicing lightsabers with. That's exactly what this was. Well, you know, here, Luke turning to the Emperor, like he would turn to the dark side because he had to strike down the emperor. So that's, that is now a Sith ritual <laughs> to turn the person. And that is the only path to the dark side is striking down the emperor. And it's instantaneous. I mean, like, right. and it doesn't matter whole, like, your motivation. That was a problem. That was a problem in like both the prequel and the original trilogy that like this light side, dark side thing seems to be like a switch. Like Anakin switched twice in the course of those mm-hmm. two prequels, those two uh, trilogies. He like switched suddenly yeah, and his eyes right. became yellow. And then he switched suddenly and all of a sudden he was, you know, Luke's loving dad. And- this could have been so thematically resonant about Grey Jedi mm-hmm. and Grey Force about, you know, the the new order, first order, whatever, crumbling from within. Mm-hmm. Like all of this. And, the, and if, not to say, you know, the the missed potential of actually digging into the stormtroopers being child soldiers like oh my god mm-hmm. and instead they just kind of like they they just went on easy mode we're gonna make the last the the uh return of the jedi again but bigger and we're just not really gonna think about it and then we're gonna end it with ray saying she's ray skywalker <laughs> like this random lady walking through the ruined farm the one person she had the least connection to by the yeah. way was probably luke out of I mean, Han, that's luke like, and leia that- really bugged me too like even like when palpatine was like a giant head again and talking to insert new evil commander here he was all like oh like first like i'm still not sure about how leia upset his plans in any way by dying but he like then he tells ray that skywalker trained her well when like they were together for like an extended weekend and like leia trained her (laughs) for like months if not years oh i hadn't thought about that that, like, and, the Emperor says, know, Skywalker trained you, but Leia doesn't go yeah. by Skywalker. And he calls her the Princess of Alderaan, which I think is hilarious, given, Oh, like, that did bother me. Yeah, how... That yeah. was really funny. I was like, she she hasn't been the Princess of Alderaan for, like, decades? Like, literally decades. Yeah. She's general. There hasn't been at Alderaan for decades. Like, Alderaan hasn't existed for decades, so she's not the Princess of Alderaan. She's a general. Like, yeah. I feel like we're we're... F- focusing on the wrong thing when what we should be focusing on is that ray has a lightsaber and it's yellow yeah i mean i do like that they gave her a lightsaber that's different but again that would have fit so much better if you go gray jedi route because then even Mm -hmm. her lightsaber is a symbol of the fact that like she's walking a different path because most of the jedi use green and green or blue not all of them but most of them have a green or blue lightsaber and so ray having a different color lightsaber would be like a representation of the fact that she's going a different direction. She represents a different kind of, like, relationship to the Force. And that's symbolically, like, visualized in the fact that her lightsaber is not your stereotypical Jedi green or blue. Like, what does it mean in this story? Like, in this story, Rey having a different like, colored lightsaber... Color better. She's got, like, just know, like, a like, tones kind of color scheme. Right. So. It's just, like, she didn't want a green or blue one. I guess Luke and Leia had the green and blue ones, so she got a different color. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Merchandising. Okay, but, again, you're focusing on the wrong things. The Knights of Ren were people with different weapons. And you, too, can buy these weapons in toy stores now, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. 
I'm sure can, all the yeah. little boys and girls just glad gold. We the... can go with Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren now. Yay. I actually have a student, a kindergarten student. She's like five years old and she's obsessed with Kylo Ren. And I was like talking to her mother about it. Her mother was like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's really strange. That she, is... she dressed up as Kylo Ren for Halloween. I mean, <laughs> great. I have no, I know little girls who my niece at one point did, uh, Dressed up as Darth Vader, but she also wanted to be a princess, so she wore this big pink sparkly dress and put a Darth Vader mask on and was like, I'm Princess <laughs> oh, I Darth that. Vader. And I was like, I love I you. I love it. You're, you're delightful. Yes, be Princess Darth Vader. Just all of it. Um, okay, <laughs> but getting back to Ray Skywalker thing, I feel like this is another, um, weakness of the way it's a, it's the after effect of the way JJ does storytelling, the whole like memorabilia without memory is, Think about the final scene with Ray saying that she's now Ray Skywalker. Um, and what does that mean for Ray to pick the name Skywalker? I know what I as an audience member am supposed to feel. Like I'm supposed found to family. feel like, oh right. But like it doesn't represent found family for Ray. Why does Skywalker mean that? Like you said, the only Skywalker she's had a relationship with was Luke. And that was kind of, like, contentious because, like, Leia goes by Organa. Ben is Ben Solo. Like, the only Skywalker she had, even though these are members of the Skywalker extended family, like, that's not their last name. They don't go by Skywalker. So why would Ray, of all of the last names that she picked, like, and this is a thing where they could have built on the idea, again, in The Last Jedi, that, like, Skywalker is a name that means something to the galaxy. Not just means something to me as an audience member watching this movie, wanting it to be about the Skywalkers. It means something to the galaxy. Luke Skywalker was a hero who represented hope and, like, fighting, you know, resisting the government. Like, in The Last Jedi, you have this whole idea of the myth of Luke Skywalker. The final scene is The Last Jedi are the little children in the stable playing with the little figures, retelling the story of Luke on Crate, like, being this, the one man standing against the entire First Order army. Like, Luke is a mythical figure who represents, like, being a hero and fighting against injustice. Like, they could have had Rey... Like, that, to me, when I import Rey Skywalker, like, that's what I wanted them to land on. It's like, she's choosing Skywalker, not just, not necessarily for herself, but for the galaxy. Like she's that would have been a very like different scene though than like her quietly throwing lightsabers into a pit on Tatooine right. and then answering a random old lady about it. As like, every time there's like a random old lady totally anywhere understand. in media now, I just immediately think of the boo lady from the Princess Bride, and no. that's like all I can say. <laughs> well, because. I'm very sympathetic to like, oh, the family you choose is the one that's meaningful. Like, I, right, I like that yeah. a lot. But the family, Ray, like, not to be weird about it, all the Skywalkers are dead. So the family that Ray chose is like her place in the resistance fighting for a good cause and for hope and all right. that. So to have it be a scene where she is quietly isolated on Tatooine, the most joyless planet <laughs> in the galaxy, throwing lightsabers into an unmarked hole. So it's not even like a memorial for anyone. And then just telling some random old lady, I'm Ray Skywalker that's not going to evoke that meaning of Skywalker the mythical hopeful family right. of the legends and Ray intends to live on that would have been a more celebratory kind of scene and maybe like there would have been dialogue to explain this right right and as someone so it could have worked but it didn't like funny thing that some random person on the internet pointed out is that 
the the lightsaber that got buried there um is probably Anakin's lightsaber. Like Luke like the one that Luke has is I think originally Anakin's lightsaber. It is. And yeah. so she's literally like she's burying Anakin's lightsaber on like the place he hated the most. Like where he was a slave, was and a slave. she's burying it in sand. Wait, didn't which is Anakin's coarse and rough lightsaber and end up like falling down the hole and like the gravity well of the planet with Bespin? Well that well that no. was the one that um that Maz Katana recovered. Yeah. Oh. And Remember that, that was in the Force Awakens? She just, like, had right, it. Yeah. Oh, but, right. like, and also burying Leia's lightsaber on Tatooine. Like, this is where she also was a slave. For, like, three hours to a space slug. I don't like, know. The timeline is kind of confused, to her. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's a very big planet. Like, maybe she has positive just, associations with that one valley or something. I don't know. It's... Did she have good memories at all of this planet? Is it know. meaningful to her? Maybe but that's like the after- thing. Like, none of this is meaningful to any of the characters in the story. It means something to us as the audience members. Like, we find this meaningful, but it doesn't mean anything to the characters actually involved. And, like, that's... Also, why the fuck are you burying perfectly good lightsabers? Give them to people who are training. That's the whole- yeah, <laughs> the whole thing about the Jedi is, like, when a Jedi dies, like, you pass on their lightsaber to, like, the next generation. Yeah, what... And like they, what if Ray used Leia's and then she gave Finn Luke's lightsaber? Or what if like she took pieces from Luke's lightsaber, which was broken at the end of the Last Jedi, and they were clearly setting oh, yeah. up that like Ray was going to salvage pieces from his lightsaber to make her own lightsaber, which again would have been super cool and gone along with this whole theme of like salvaging what is good about the past but transforming it into something new and meaningful for a new time. It would have fit with the whole Great Jedi thing because she's rebuilding her lightsaber from the remnants of the old generation's lightsabers but also transforming See, but, like, it into changing star new wars for a new time is exactly what people didn't like about um the last jedi so we had to not do that anymore <sighs> what the first one of the first reviews that i read called the rise of skywalker an epic failure of nerve and i feel like that's been one of the mm. best most succinct yeah summations of this movie was that it was an epic failure of nerve because what the last jedi set up would have been transformative and super interesting and powerful but people might not have liked it and so it just feels like they saw where it was going they saw the backlash and were like "Ooh, let's not let's maybe not do that let's pull back and make something safer backpedal a whole lot bring out uh you know ian mcdamert at you know the not Comic-Con, it was the Star Wars, whatever. And everyone will be happy because everyone... I mean, he did choose scenery in a rather delightful yeah. way. Like, he was creepy yeah, and he Like, he's never, he's never done a bad job in his life. But just, no, like... No. I have no yeah. issues with but that no, I, whatsoever. But, I think yeah. I think that's 100%, like, the best pretty bow we could put on this. Uh, and we have to put a bow on this because we have been yakking away for an hour and a half yeah. now. And, but I will we say, that was another thing. David and I... Half the things we wanted to talk about. David and I agreed <laughs> yeah. that the Emperor was, uh, like, at least Who? visually... Who's David? Sorry, Lucifer means Lightbringer. Um, that the the Emperor was at least, like, he was the most menacing and frightening that we've ever seen in any movie. Yes, I, d- <laughs> I did like him on the robot arm, and he finally, the face finally looked right. Like, the, yes, the original trilogy you. Emperor was like, okay, that's the best they could do at that time. The prequel Emperor was horrible. But this one, <laughs> this guy looked like a necromancer. You know, the eyes and the skin and the, the yeah. falling, rotting fingers. I mean, that was all great. Totally agree. Totally agree. It was agree. very menacing, even if I didn't understand why it was there. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> extremely confused. 
And, I like, liked the robot so, yeah, arm. I know Jenny Nicholson made me. fun of it, but I liked it. Someone please explain to me what happened when Leia died. I'm still so confused. I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, when, I when know I the behind-the-scenes like, explanations, but not necessarily well, what the movie was trying to tell me. Like, when I saw it, I thought that, like, she was the one who healed Ben, and that, and, like, it sucked out all her power, and that's right. why she died. But, no, that's clearly not what happened. So, I don't know. Because she dies before But she turns, only right? she only turns into a force ghost when he dies. So, like, I, th- that, I thought that was backing up my, like, idea that, like, her life force or whatever was what was keeping him alive right now. But no. No, she just, she broke through mental conditioning, and then I don't know why she only turned into a force ghost later. Like, that's what I got out of it. I, I thought that was weird, too, that, like, her body was, when, when Leia died, I was expecting, I was expecting an immediate turn to a force ghost when Leia dies, and they show that, like, they have this long shot, a couple of seconds, with her on the table after she dies, and I was like, all her clothes are gonna collapse. And then they don't. And she just, like, lays there on a table for, like, half the movie. <laughs> and then she turns into a force ghost after she's already dead? I don't know. Yeah. If they had recast Carrie Fisher, like, they really should have. They could have had, you know, breaking the mental conditioning to be, like, a conversation with her and her son. Just, like, the conversation mm-hmm. he had immediately afterwards with Harrison Ford for some reason. And that, like, could have made sense. Like, like she was using, like, a, a force connection but it was actually like actually talking to him that broke the conditioning, right? But and this, no, apparently it was another was switch. Of, <clears throat> sorry, I was I was uh, there's a little bit of a delay. I was just saying it goes along with what I was saying about uh, like you need to make choices to go to the dark mm-hmm. side, and all of a sudden it's yeah, exactly. like oh well, actually Snoke just sort of tinkered with Ben in the womb. Like that's I hate that. I really hate that because it's uh, yeah, like th- I agree. That's not how you become a fascist Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. Like you do that by making choices, right? I agree. And that's why I really don't like the idea of his redemption being framed as breaking through mental conditioning. There is so, he had actions that he's responsible for. This movie basically, I think, I think it was honestly Jenny Nicholson who tweeted this, but like this movie turned him into a Wiimote that was getting passed back and forth by like other force users. Basically. And that's really like, not only a boring story to tell, but it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to go as far as dangerous. It's just kind of, we have fascists that we're dealing with and they are making choices that are within their control. Right. Right. And you don't you don't want to kind of neutralize that. And they can make choices for telling like at the story. end of their lives to try to mitigate what they've done. And that's right. an interesting story. And that's that's like a quote unquote redemption. But like it doesn't mean you have to flip a switch and all of a sudden he's a great guy that Kylo wants to, that uh Ray wants to make out with. Like just And is he a great guy? No. I don't know. All he did was kill one bad dude and then Ray kissed him <sighs> but looked confused about it and then he died. And it's not even worth getting into the Raylo kiss. It was so fucking random that it just read to me like a script note. I have heard, I don't know how true these are, but I have heard there's apparently a source that worked on the movie that has said that JJ was against it. Um, and that this was like a studio decision, like, ex- against what? Uh, Raylo. was against the, the Raylo kiss. kiss precisely uh. like because of all of the things that are problematic about their dynamic, which does explain some mm-hmm. of the comments that he's made recently about how when he was writing The Force Awakens, he was setting up, like, a dynamic that was kind of maybe like Luke and Leia a little bit, and that it wasn't entirely romantic, and it wasn't, like, a straightforward sexual connection, that it had, like, all these layers to it, and that he was kind of setting up possibilities for it to go various directions. But, like, 
the comments he's made recently coupled with like whatever this source again i don't know how accurate it is i've just seen people saying there's a source close to the movie who says that it was an executive decision that so like not necessarily even kathleen kennedy herself because i don't want to assign blame to one specific person but it could have been like a whole studio decision was like okay the raylos are super mad we want to please this corner of the fandom because they're really loud and angry which there are a lot of decisions in this movie that seem to be about Mm -hmm. pleasing loud and angry fans. So what is one way to please the loud and angry fans is to like give them a kiss. Fine. We'll tack it on whatever. Maybe that will satisfy them. But Ben has to die anyway. Which it didn't. Because it feels like nothing would would, uh, please the Raylos except for like. Because it like feels like they could have told like if you just take out that kiss, like there's a coherent story Mm -hmm. there, like a coherent ish story that resolves Ben and Ray together, like mutually healing each other and then him sacrificing himself so she can live. Like that's a, that's, I mean, it could have been more significant and more meaningful, but like, that's fine. So like, it feels like that was, it feels, it feels like that was JJ's version of the script. And then like an executive was like, yeah, but make them kiss first. Like the studio was like, make them kiss first and then whatever. And not appeased by like a peck on the cheek. You know, they'd be just as mad and just as appeased, but whatever. (sighs) Well, honestly, I kind of get why they're, they're mad to some extent. I'm I'm sorry. I just have like no sympathy for that particular point of view. Oh, I don't either. I'm sorry if I upset anyone by saying that, but sorry. It just reminds me of like the very hardcore Sand Sands who like only focus on Sandora as a character and stuff. But like, uh, Kylo Ren, like, Kylo Ren and Rey had a very interesting dynamic setup in The Last Jedi, and honestly, Force Awakens, or, uh, Rise of Skywalker almost seemed to walk it back Dead. a bit. Like, they kind of both felt a little weird and out of character for what they had established between them. So I honestly do understand why they'd be frustrated with that. Um, I'm also gonna go out on a limb here and guess that Kathleen Kennedy is not making specific creative decisions about plot points in the movie. Right. That's not what she does. Like, she's a CEO. She looks at market trends. She might say, we're getting backlash. Do what you can to cut down on it. But I don't think, I, I don't even think she would know what the phrase Raylo means. Right. Like, right. She might, she I'd might say torn, something but- along the lines of like, it might play well to have this romantic, to have this be explicitly romantic. Do what you can to make that happen. Like, I just, I don't, I try really hard not to assign power to like Kathleen Kennedy as an individual. Because, again, yeah, that's not how these companies work. She's a CEO. She's not a creative director or producer of these right. films. Like That's why I said, like, the powers that be or the decision group. Uh-huh. Like, who are, she's kind of the head of that. But that's a, that's sur- surely a conglomerate of people and interests. And right. collectively, yeah. they did not make, you know, an outline. Right. Or they yeah. did not, yeah. whatever. Which I think <laughs> we are so used to operating within what I would call the auteur paradigm of, mm-hmm. like, one creative mastermind who makes all of the decisions that like when it comes to something like this that's why people are like Kathleen Kennedy did it because we're so used to assigning you know praise or blame to one specific person that when we're presented with the paradigm that like that doesn't work in we're still going to do it anyway like or society as a whole like fandom as a whole is so used to like blame the director blame this one specific person so like jj abrams ruined star wars like well no like he went and like worked with the lucasfilm story group for a month like for a month so if there were decisions that they didn't like he would have had a time you know like star star wars is actually much more collaborative 
than people think storytelling yeah, there's wise. too much money at stake there's and there's to too many person. people involved you can't assign praise yeah. or blame to any one person I, I think this brings up a more interesting topic that maybe we'll delve into in a different episode about the corporatization of big media mm-hmm. and like you know we started out with a new segment disney made 80 percent of the money in the box office also here's the movies in 2020 that you were basically required to see to participate in fandom and they're like 80 percent disney so it's not really a shock mm-hmm. there um and i think that's a different topic and one that i would love to talk about too because that more than anything else i would say characterized our last decade and right. how we react to it you know it's it's 2020 how do we get out of this cycle and the answer is you got to stop giving the money to the bad like corporate frankenstein product that's just out there to make you happy and make money and not really think about it yeah that that really would be a good good whole discussion it's it's partially the corporatization of media and it's partially like the fandom sort of turning back around it influencing the creators in an unhealthy Mm -hmm. way you know yeah, we now have platforms that we can give immediate feedback. And by give immediate feedback, I mean harass off Twitter when we don't like things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does that mean for... And Gretchen, you and I have actually written a lot about this, right. too, of like uh, creator responsibility mm-hmm. to fandom response. And what does it look like? What's the balance there? Because there's a lot of times it goes overboard. So all good topics mm-hmm. for podcasts that are not <clears throat> this podcast I hope you enjoyed listening to this, though, which was uh, an hour and a half of ramble. Not really as structured as I think I, we could have done. I feel like we. But, you I know feel what? like the questions that we had, like we didn't specifically say we were addressing them, but we kind of flowed in between them while I we agree. were talking about I, specific things. So, like the Star Wars franchise uh, for the sequel trilogies, we did not really stick to any outline <laughs> and this was the result we gotta go we gotta talk about the next thing it's time to go 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 non-stop action Just from us here minute. at the fundamentalist all right um but thank you so much to lucifer means Lightbringer for joining us again is there something you would like to plug my good man yes uh <laughs> tomorrow this sunday um well this even this is going to Will have already happened by the okay, so well, uh, could they watch it? Like, yeah. after, post- yes, it's on YouTube. So basically, we, you know, I, I'm a it's funny, you know, Gretchen is working on an article about overlaps between Ray and Daenerys, and they certainly have a lot of similar themes, you know, looking for home and stuff like that. And recently, what I've been working on is trying to get back to the true character of Daenerys Targaryen from the books since, you know, Danny. Danny's heel turn and then getting stabbed by John is basically the most unsatisfying part of the show ending, to put it mildly. And since D&D have kind of said, hey, that was our idea, while King Bran was George's idea. So I was like, okay, let me do a Danny reread and just look at all the foreshadowing, look at her character, look at how she thinks about power and using the dragons and the people and what leadership is about. And so I've been doing a series of podcasts going book by book, just trying to ignore the magic and the big light and sounds of the dragon fire and all that, and just look at the character and and all that stuff. So I did one already called... Um, it pleases uh, me to hold uh, them safe. Thank you, Gretchen. You're welcome. It pleases me to hold them safe. That was her Game of Thrones chapters. Uh, tomorrow, Sunday, uh, you know, as you know, we're recording on Saturday, I'm going to do one for Clash of Kings. 
Uh, so I I must be there. Hopefully yesterday if I post this on Monday. Yeah, I don't know. It'll by the time anybody hears this, it'll be on my YouTube channel. That's all that matters. Go to uh, Lucifer Means Lightbringer on YouTube, and my last two videos are about Danny. And like I said, if if you were unhappy with the ending and you think it didn't serve her character right, then you'll probably be very pleased with our discussion. Um, speaking of plugging, Kylie, we have made a commitment. We have made an outline. We are going to do it. We're going to retrospect season eight. Yeah, we do. Um, we're not really going to be able to go plot line no. by plot line because it's all one big hot buttery mess. <laughs> um, but yes, Julia and I have planned it out. We will be rewatching. Oh God, season eight. Um, yeah, maybe I should just, like start very doing very that near future, like in this next month. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I'm gonna get I'm gonna get crackalacking on it rather than continuing to replay Fire Emblem Three Houses. Maybe. <laughs> No, we will. We will do it. We will do it. And we have even split up like how we're talking about it. So there's going to be like a John, Danny, Tyrion one, like the big three. There's going to be a Stark one. And then there's going to be like bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Like, remember Dallas? (laughs) He was there. He was. He was there. (laughs) Remember Euron? No, I I try really hard not to. Cersei tried to pot off the baby as his, but then Tyrion was like, "Yo, that's Jamie's baby." And then and then they had a fight because they're both Danish, and that's hilarious. Yeah. Um. So yeah, keep checking thefandamentals.com. Uh, Gretchen and I are both going to be trying to write articles this this month. It sounds like Gretchen's is going to be really good, whereas mine just be like Legend of Korra. Yeah. Mine's mostly going to be comparing between the ways the um, the TV show Game of Thrones and similarities between how Game of Thrones and Ray um, did Ray and Danny dirty. We're done yeah, dirty. The ways that they were similarly <laughs> done dirty, though. Though Danny is in significantly uh, more problematic, but there are similar oh yeah trends in the choices that they made that got them to, you know, the movie and TV show that we got. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so check that out. Um, if you liked this podcast, definitely recommend it to your friends and tell them how well-structured it is. <laughs> and thank you for listening. We will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Could I drag that out? What investigating? It'll just become like a game to see how long Kylie can hold out that word. <laughs> <laughs>